Hello and welcome to episode 87 of the UK True Crime Weekly podcast. I'm Adam. Firstly, a huge thank you to all my supporters on Patreon, especially my new supporters this week. That's Kiara Murphy, Sisse Swofbacker, Kay Ficker, and Paul Donovan. Paul, at least your name is easy to pronounce. With bonus episode 17 dropping this week, there is lots of one-star material for you to enjoy, along with other exclusive content. Thank you all so much for your support, it's much appreciated. I'm delighted that this week's episode has been written and researched by a valued listener, true crime buff and up-and-coming writer Andy Parrish. Andy is planning to start his own true crime blog in the near future, which I'm super excited about, and you can catch him on the UK True Crime Facebook page. Thanks a lot, Andy. Really appreciate it. This week's case takes place in the historic western city of Gloucester, which has its roots stretching back to Roman times. With over 2,000 years of history, Gloucester boasts England's most inland port. It's a lovely part of the country, and any trip to Gloucester would not be complete without a visit to its magnificent cathedral and docks. This case is a tragic story from February 2014, and follows the life of a young woman who was following her dreams, but then she got caught up in a relationship with a controlling boyfriend. But before we get into the details, I'm delighted, absolutely delighted that this week's show is again sponsored by The Economist. Please do take a moment to subscribe for your free copy by texting the word CRIME to 78070. For over 170 years, The Economist has helped inform our thinking on a range of issues. It's not just about economics and finance. It covers a range of subjects from politics and business to science, technology, arts and the environment. There is lots in the current issue for fans of true crime across the globe. Two articles stood out for me. The first was about immigration and crime, which, as you know, we've covered on this show. The article looks at how the far right in Sweden are raising this issue to the top of the political agenda. There is also some excellent insight about race and crime in the US, a common topic of discussion. But this article is really good insight and draws some, well, quite interesting conclusions. Don't take my word for it. Take a look at the articles on economist.com or get a print copy of the magazine today to learn more. The Economist is a smart guide to the forces changing your world. Get your copy today. And the good news is that to receive a free print copy of The Economist, you just need to text the word CRIME to 78070. So support this podcast and receive a free copy of The Economist by texting CRIME to 78070. Thank you. Let's briefly put this story into perspective by remembering some of the music we enjoyed at the time. Number one in the UK was Clean Bandit with Rather Be. In America, it was Katy Perry featuring Juicy J with Dark Horse. Sounds more like a porn film, or does that say more about me? And in Australia, on a similar note, it was Farrell Williams with Happy. 2014 also saw the Football World Cup played in Brazil, which was won by Germany after beating the host Brazil in the semi-finals 7-1. No doubt, all of us outside Germany spent the evening in tears following their elimination last week. 
As I speak, we are yet to face Colombia in the last 16, and I'm wildly predicting a 4-1 win for England. Look, give me a break. All these years believing the mighty Leeds United to be the best team in the world has clearly affected my football judgment. On the 24th of July 1993, Nick and Mandy Gazard were blessed with the birth of their second daughter, Holly. Born a month premature, she weighed just £5, which was so small that her dad had to buy her doll's clothes, just for her to have something to wear. Holly had an older sister, Chloe, whom she adored, and the two sisters had a very close relationship growing up. Chloe loved her sister Holly as she was energetic, playful and always on the go. Holly's dad Nick described Holly to his friends and family as a vibrant, fun-loving girl with so many friends. Holly would light up any room she walked into and just made people smile. Much like me, I guess. Well, they laugh at me, which is kind of the same, I guess. As a teenager, Holly became very fashion conscious and stylish. And she was always experimenting with her hair and makeup and was affectionately known by her nickname Ginge because of her gorgeous red hair. Holly's dream was to be a hairdresser. So when she left school, she went straight into training. In February 2013, Holly met a man called Asher Maslin at a local nightclub. Asher was a couple of years older than Holly and six foot tall towering over the petite Holly. They hit it off straight away and the relationship started well, although Holly did not tell her parents about the connection initially. Holly's family first met Asher when Holly asked if she could have a friend over one evening. When Asher arrived, he was welcomed by Holly's dad, but Holly's mum, Mandy, said, oh, it's him, as she knew Asher from his school days. Mandy had found Asher a bit gobby and rebellious, and even made a point of saying this out loud to Asher. Like many girls, and boys for that matter, although Holly and her mum were very close, Holly ignored her mum's fears and comments about her new boyfriend, and Holly's parents respected their daughter's wishes, as you do. Besides, maybe Asher had changed since his school days, and on their first impression, he seemed quite reasonable, jokey and charming. Asher seemed polite, respectful, and from what Holly's parents could tell, it looked like he treated Holly well. However, pretty quickly cracks started to appear in the relationship. Holly's sister overheard them arguing on the phone and these episodes became more and more frequent. Asher also sent a large number of text messages to Holly demanding to know where she was and who she was with. To us listening now, these are clear early warning signs of Asher trying to control Holly. Holly and Asher have been together for three months when they were invited to go out with Holly's family to celebrate Holly's mum's birthday at a local restaurant. This was the occasion when for the first time in public, Asher was unable to regulate his behaviour and the family started to see his true colours. He turned up an hour late and was clearly drunk. Through the meal he was abusive and disrespectful towards Holly's family and also to staff working at the restaurant. Gosh, don't you just hate that? It got so bad that Chloe's partner had to take Asher outside and tell him to stop acting like such an idiot. Not good at all. Holly's family were a bit worried for Holly based on the way that her relationship seemed to be heading 
but their fears were somewhat put to rest when Holly was offered a great work opportunity. Holly, dreaming of travel, accepted a job on a cruise ship to be an onboard hairdresser. The position meant that she would need to complete a training programme in Watford and Holly took the decision to move to Hertfordshire on her own. What a great opportunity for ambitious Holly and one she was very excited about. Her parents were also pleased as they thought this would help Holly's relationship with Asher fizzle out. Unfortunately, they were wrong. Unknown to Holly at the time, Asher was also planning to move to Watford as he could not allow his control over Holly to be jeopardised. He found somewhere to stay in a nearby hostel and surprised Holly when she realised that Asher had moved to be with her. It's not clear what Holly's reaction to this was, but the relationship was soon very much back on again, much to the disappointment of Holly's loving family. In Watford, Holly's sister Chloe visited with her partner to take Holly out for lunch. While Holly was at the bar ordering a drink, Holly's phone was constantly receiving text messages. Curious, Chloe took a look at Holly's phone as she left it on the table, and she saw a text message from Asher saying, don't let them take you back, stay with me. It was already clear that Asher saw Holly as his property, and Holly's family was a threat he feared would try to take her away from him. By August of 2013, the couple had been together for six months. During the bank holiday, they attended the Notting Hill Carnival, which attracts thousands of tourists and partygoers to West London every year. The couple were having a great time, and they were joined by Asher's young cousins. One of the youngsters wanted to go to the toilet, and didn't want to go by himself in the crowds, so Holly agreed to take him. But while she was away, Asher rang and texted Holly frantically, as he could not find her among the large crowds at the carnival. Eventually Asher caught up with his girlfriend and he was furious. He accused Holly of being with other men and then pushed Holly to the ground. Holly was in shock and she wasted no time in ending her relationship with Asher due to this violent behaviour. After the incident at Notting Hill, Holly called her dad who immediately came to collect her and take her back home to Gloucester. Holly's family were just so pleased to have her safely living with them at home and Holly found work at a Gloucester hair salon called Fringe Benefits, which was situated on Southgate Street in Gloucester's city centre. But Asher Maslin had followed her back to Gloucester, and was still pestering Holly with constant texts and phone calls. Despite the events of Notting Hill, eventually Holly agreed to give their relationship one more chance. This caused some friction in the family, especially with Holly's sister Chloe who couldn't understand it, and the two sisters who had always been so close fell out over this. Asher's control was escalating with every day that passed, and he started to show a total lack of respect towards Holly and her family by frequently turning up at her home drunk and abusive. And it wasn't just Holly's family. When Holly would go out with her friends, he would turn up, again, usually drunk, and once more often abusive. Being the protective dad he was, Nick Gazard offered to talk to Asher as Holly realised that she needed to end the relationship. But Holly told her dad that she would do it her way. When Holly told Asher that she wanted to break up with him, 
he reacted badly, telling her that he would commit suicide if she did so, and he continued to bombard Holly with more texts and more calls. But Holly was now certain that she couldn't cope with Asher's controlling and violent behaviour, and despite his numerous promises to change, Holly realised this wasn't going to happen, and she was determined to finish the relationship and start to move on again with her life. On the 14th of February 2014, Holly met Asher in person at a pub restaurant and broke up with him face to face. Asher reacted by throwing a glass of water in her face. Holly walked out, but Asher followed her back to the car and got in the passenger side. Asher asked to use Holly's phone to arrange to be picked up, and in the process, Asher stole Holly's bank card and Holly later found out that Asher had stolen £300 from her account. When Holly realised this, that Asher had taken money from her, she initially gave him the opportunity to return it. He refused. Holly then contacted her bank, who were unable to assist, no change there then, and recommended that Holly report the matter to police. Holly called Gloucestershire Constabulary on the 15th of February 2014, with the support of her family, to tell them that she'd broken up with her boyfriend the night before and that he'd stolen her bank card and withdrawn £300 without her consent. Holly explained to the operator that she'd been trying to end the relationship for some time and that Asher would just not accept this. Holly also said that Asher had threatened to beat her up and throw acid in her face. Holly continued that Asher had made threats towards her family and said that although she didn't want to be with Asher, she was, well, as she would be, frightened that he may actually carry out his threats. But unfortunately, the operator failed to log some of the incidents that Holly disclosed during the call. The events that weren't recorded were that Asher had threatened to kill himself, he'd been continuously ringing and texting Holly, and that he'd threatened to destroy Holly's life the way that she had destroyed his. The call operator later explained not logging these incidents by saying that she had not received specific training on domestic abuse, nor had she received any training or guidance around stalking and harassment. The operator decided that an officer should attend Holly's address to discuss the theft and provide advice. The call was graded as grade 2. The target time for officer attendance is within 4 hours. When the call was placed on the 15th of February, Gloucestershire police did have some intelligence on Asher Maslin. This indicated he posed the risk of suicide, he was a domestic abuse unit high risk, he was a known user of drugs, he was violent and he was on police imposed bail. This information came from his history of domestic violence towards a former partner. This was marked on the record for the attending officers to access. The police arrived at the Gazard house at around 7.45pm on the 15th of February and they spoke to Holly in the presence of her parents. The officers discussed the current incident and Holly's history with Asher over the course of an hour. They discussed options for Holly and whether she wished to make a complaint or not and explained the legal and court procedures she would face if she chose to pursue further action. Holly's dad asked about preventing Asher from seeing Holly, at which time the officers discussed the possibility 
of issuing a police information notice or PIN, and also that a restraining order or a non-molestation order could be considered. It's a lot to think about and Holly wanted some time to think about her options and the officers left to give her this time to decide if she wanted to pursue the matter further. As part of their standard risk assessment, the attending officers needed to establish if Holly was frightened. One officer described Holly as appearing shy and thought she hadn't told the officers everything that had happened to her. This officer felt that Holly seemed very intimidated by Asher. But the other officer commented that Holly seemed okay and had not been crying or hysterical as many victims of domestic abuse often are. Yeah, I agree with what you're thinking. The next day, officers contacted Holly by phone, where she told the police that she did want to pursue a criminal complaint against Asher. Officers made arrangements to come to Holly's home address and take a formal statement. When the police officers arrived, they were made aware of a number of text messages that Asher had sent to Holly, threatening to damage property and to injure Holly's dad with a baseball bat. Police asked Holly to start at the beginning and she mentioned an event that the police were already aware of. In July 2013, on a night out, Asher and Holly had argued. CCTV operators alerted police to the incident, as Asher could be seen to put his hands around Holly's throat. Police arrived moments later and arrested Asher, but Holly refused to press charges. Asher was taken into custody, but as there weren't any injuries and Holly made no complaint. The incident was resolved as no further action. Asher was not interviewed, and although Holly was referred to the Gloucestershire Domestic Abuse Support Service, she declined their support. There was another incident which police were aware of, but which hadn't been reported by Holly. The event was reported to police by a member of staff at the Batten Ball pub in Gloucester. The witness had seen a fight between a group of males, It was alleged that Asher assaulted a number of strangers on a night out and took Holly's car while drunk with Holly in the passenger seat. Holly provided a statement in November 2013 stating that she told him not to drive. She had given him the keys to her car early that evening and he'd wanted to get his phone charger which he'd left in the car. Following this incident, police decided to charge Asher with three counts of common assault possession of an offensive weapon, driving with excess alcohol, taking without consent and driving without insurance. Asher was bailed until the 6th of March 2014. Holly provided two addresses for her ex-partner, his mother's house and another, which were both in Cheltenham. Police made two attempts to arrest him from both addresses, but were unsuccessful as he wasn't there. They attended the properties on the 16th and the 17th of February, but did not try any other addresses or places where Asher was known. Although the police were unable to find Asher, he made it very clear to friends that he knew that Holly had reported him to the police. He'd actually spent three days binging on crack cocaine and alcohol, seething with anger at his treatment. As this anger festered, Asher concluded that Holly would pay for betraying him. On the 18th of February, Asher walked into Gloucester City Centre and into a branch of cash converters. There, 
he sold a DVD player for £5. From there he headed straight into the homeware store, Wilkinson's, where he purchased a 6-inch knife. CCTV from the store showed Asher confident and acting normally. Later, at 5.45pm, Asher walked into the Fringe Benefits Salon where Holly worked. He knew this was the day she worked later and that the salon would not be bustling with crowds. Asher didn't break stride or say a word as he approached an unsuspecting Holly and punched her with all his strength in the face. Holly fell to the floor immediately and as she tried her best to defend herself, she was no match for Asher who furiously stabbed Holly a total of 14 times in a sickening, frenzied attack. The whole incident took place in front of shocked staff and customers in the salon. This was not just an attack, this was an execution. Asher had no fear of the consequences. All he cared about was punishing the woman who dared to try and seize back control from him. The attack only lasted seconds, and as quickly as he'd walked in, Asher now walked out and onto the busy street. An ambulance was called and Holly was rushed to the Royal Gloucestershire Hospital. But unfortunately, Holly's injuries proved too severe and she died due to massive blood loss at just 19 years old. Deputy Senior Investigating Officer Angie Middlewood was first to the scene and described what she found as one of the worst she'd seen in her 21 years of service. Forensic searches were underway but the crime scene was a tricky one as the location was on a busy high street, so many people would have passed through the scene. Thanks to Gloucester's vast CCTV network, the police were able to track Asher Maslin as he left the salon. He discarded the murder weapon in a building site close by and went home to change his blood-covered clothes. Police were concerned for the safety of Holly's family and raced round there to ensure that they were safe. And having been given the most devastating news a parent could ever receive, that their child had been murdered, the grieving family were then moved to a safe house for their protection. CCTV showed Maslin getting into a taxi and heading out of the city. Eventually, after an eight-hour manhunt, police tracked Maslin down to his friend's house. The house was surrounded and Maslin arrested but the cowardly killer showed no remorse for what he had done to Holly. He answered no comment to all questions police put to him, and it was clear to the police that Asher didn't care, and that all he'd wanted was to get back at Holly. Once he had done that and he'd got his own way, it was mission accomplished as far as he was concerned. Holly's funeral was held on March 17th, 2014, at Gloucester Cathedral, as the funeral venue had to be big enough to accommodate the hundreds of people who attended to pay their respects. Holly's family wanted the occasion to be colourful and vibrant, to reflect the personality of their beloved daughter. At his trial, Asher Maslin was sentenced to life imprisonment for the murder of Holly, with a minimum term of 24 years. Six months later, and the Gazard family were still struggling to come to terms with Holly's death, The family had kept her room exactly as she left it, but with the addition of two clocks set permanently to two different times. One is the time that Holly was born, while the other the time she died. Holly's family had to try to face up to the fact that their beautiful daughter wasn't coming home 
and they had to try to rebuild their lives. They did not want Holly's name to be forgotten and set up the Holly Gazard Trust to try and at least make some form of positive from such a terrible event. The concept of this excellent trust is both to sponsor a young hairdresser in Gloucester every year as well as educating young people on domestic abuse and stalking. What about the police and their response to events? Could they have done more? An independent police complaints commission was referred to investigate the police contact with Holly prior to her death. And although the complaint found it was impossible to determine whether a different response by the police could have prevented Holly's death, it did make a number of recommendations to Gloucestershire Police Force regarding their handling of domestic violence and stalking. And in June 2014, Her Majesty's Inspectorate of Constabulary commended Gloucestershire Constabulary for the steady progress they had made since their original investigation into the handling of the case. So progress had been made, but sadly it was much too late for Holly and her distraught family and friends. So what do you think about today's case? We've looked at domestic violence often on this podcast and it's mainly men abusing women, although I have covered the rarer cases of men suffering abuse. But we cannot talk enough about these figures as they are completely unacceptable. An average two women a week are killed by their partner or ex-partner. From 2015 to 2016, 44% of female murder victims were killed by their partner or ex-partner. 44%. On average, police in England and Wales receive over 100 calls relating to domestic abuse every hour. Just so shocking. And of course, behind all these statistics are the horrendous real-life stories like the one we've heard today. And then there's stalking. The Met Police found that 40% of victims of domestic murder were victims of stalking and 75% of domestic violence stalkers will turn up at their victim's place of work and 1 in 5 women and 1 in 10 men will experience stalking in their adult lives. Victims of stalking tend to hope it will go away and on average will not report stalking to the police until the 100th incident. If either you or someone you know is, you think, a victim of domestic abuse or stalking, please, please get in touch with one of the various agencies who are trained to help with these horrible situations. I'll provide links to the show notes for this episode. Thank you for listening to this episode of the UK True Crime Weekly Podcast. A big thank you again to Andy for the writing and research of the episode and to my sponsor, The Economist. Please secure your free copy of The Economist by texting the word CRIME to 78070. You will really help me out, and you will enjoy it. It's a great magazine. To help me continue to produce this show on a weekly basis, please support the show on Patreon at patreon.com slash UKTrueCrime. Enjoy the soon-to-be 17 bonus episodes and other exclusive content whilst knowing you are helping me to produce a better show weekly. That is all from me for now, so until we speak again next week, come and join us on Facebook and stay classy.